uh, one of the shortest, uh, uh, maybe the shortest, uh, Titus. Has Titus got fewer verses than Philemon? I don't know. Somebody go look. This has got 25. How many does Titus have? It's only got one chapter. Titus got three? Oh, never mind. What am I talking about? Uh, isn't there a third, one of the Johns? Has it only got one chapter? Anyway, this is one of the very shortest chapters in the whole books in the whole Bible. It's a letter, and uh, we're going to look into it tonight because it has some really interesting uh, subject matter. We kind of, we kind of uh, set you up uh, last week to know kind of what this is about. Let me, let me, for those of you that may not have been here last week, uh, either in the room or on the stream, uh, this is a letter written by Paul, written to Philemon, um, and it really addresses primarily one issue, a, uh, a gentleman named Onesimus, who was a slave. We're going to talk about what that meant in that day, because it certainly means something different than it means in most of our minds as it relates to slavery, because we think of, uh, you know, uh, early, early U.S. history with slavery, uh, very different situation now, but we're going to talk about that. And, uh, and we'll probably, it'll take probably two weeks to finish the whole book of Philemon, but uh, we'll move through it pretty quickly. Let me lead us in prayer tonight as we, uh, as we begin. Father, we thank you, we love you for your goodness, for your love, for your purpose. Lord, we just, uh, we just slow down for a moment and just give you praise. It's been an awesome day. It's been an awesome week. It's not been without its difficulties, Lord, but every one of those have just been surrounded by your presence and by your peace. And Lord, I'm so thankful for that. I thank you for the clarity and the discernment and the direction that you give. Even when we don't know what to do, you direct us. And I'm so thankful for that. I acknowledge that you are above all and in all and through all. Every good thing, Father, that we that we'll be involved in, it comes from you. And so tonight, Lord, we pray that each person here and on the stream would be encouraged and strengthened and that their hearts would be uh, close to you. And if they're not, that they would be drawn to you. And uh, we pray that those that do need uh, physical healing would be healed, Lord. Those that need a touch from you, those that need uh, wisdom, need a job, they need uh, a loved one. Or they've had a loved one, Father, that has loved you but walked away. Or those that have loved ones who have never known you, we pray for each of those areas, Lord, that you would do a work. And we want to see your will done. Not ours, but yours. And not for our glory, but for yours. It's your word that is confirmed, not ours. So have your way today, uh, tonight, Lord. We thank you and we give you praise in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Once again, thank you for, for being here. Well, let me talk to you a little bit about Philemon. There are several possibilities of why, uh, as to why Onesimus is with Paul. Uh, we know uh, that he is with Paul, and it is because of the relationship that has ensued between Paul and Onesimus, and also the fact that Onesimus has become a believer that has motivated Paul to write this letter to Philemon. Now, um, but there are a several, primarily four, reasons, possibilities as to why Onesimus is with Paul and why Paul writes the letters. Let me give you the, the four most uh, prevalent ideas, uh, theories as to what's going on here. The first one is that Onesimus has fled from his master Philemon and he is stolen from him in the process. There's some verses that seem to give some indication of that. Um, 
we'll see those uh, not this week, but next week. Uh, but even those aren't absolute, they're, they're not absolute. Uh, so perhaps he has fled from Philemon and he has stolen some things from him in the process. Secondly, another theory is that he has fled to Paul for asylum. He is, uh, he has heard of Paul perhaps in his master's home and he has fled to Paul thinking that Paul uh, who has uh, influence with Philemon will perhaps give him asylum with no thought, at least in this theory, no thought of going back. Third is that Philemon has been sent, that, that Onesimus has been sent by Philemon to help Paul. Paul is in prison. Uh, we believe uh, one of two places, the most predominant thought is that he's in prison in Rome. There's also some that believe that he was in prison uh, in Ephesus. Uh, even though that's not mentioned anywhere in the New Testament, it's this book that sort of gives rise to that theory. Let me tell you why. Uh, Onesimus is with Paul. Uh, wherever Paul is, he's with him. And Ephesus is relatively close to Colossa, which is where Philemon is. And Rome is a long, long, many, many day journey. And the thought is, it would have been very difficult for Onesimus to get to Paul if he is a runaway slave, to get all the way to Rome. And uh, why would he go to Rome? Um, so the thought is, if he is indeed a, sort of a fugitive, then uh, Ephesus would have been a lot easier for him to get to than Rome. But all of that conjecture, all right? The third is that he was sent. And if that's the case, then it wouldn't matter whether it's Ephesus or Rome. If he's sent by Philemon, then the journey is made possible by Philemon. Fourth, and, and in, in light of that, so the thought is, if Philemon has sent him there to help care for Paul, then Onesimus is ultimately saved. And then Paul says, wait a minute, I'm, he's going to come back to you. But when he does, I don't want him to come back as a slave anymore. I want him to come back as a brother in Christ. So that's a possibility. The fourth one is that Onesimus has fled, but he wants to be reconciled to Philemon, and he has come to Paul hoping that Paul will act as an intermediate. So all of those are possibilities. Um, do they matter to you and me? Um, maybe a little bit, but not a whole lot. Do we know which one is true? No, we absolutely don't. There is no, there's no language in the New Testament, certainly not in the book of Philemon, that tells us exactly how Onesimus got there, what his motive was. Uh, I'm going to give you everything we know, and none of the things that we know are going to answer one of those four questions absolutely, are going to nail down one of those. I think that number four is the most plausible, that he has, that he has left Philemon, but, he, he, but because of what slavery was in that day, he wants to go back, and he's asking Paul to be his, uh, his mediator in that in that. All right. One of the things that you need to know is that if he is a, and this is what's sort of, it begins this understanding of how different slavery was in that day. Um, it, it, is, it is certainly different, but it is not without consequence to leave the person that you're in service to. It was illegal for a person to enter into either willingly uh, it was almost always in, in, the, in the time that we're talking about, it was almost, if I say willing, that, that might be too big of a stretch, but it's, it wasn't forced slavery like what we think of. 
People would do it because they had amassed a, a lot of debt and they would, they would enter into a bond-servant relationship with the person that they were in debt to so that they could work off the debt. So um, we're going to talk about what it meant in that time in just a moment. However, it was illegal in the Greco-Roman world to harbor someone who breaks that arrangement and runs away from it. If you harbored them, that was illegal. So it's pretty unlikely that Paul, who is in prison, <laughs> is going to who is going to hide a fugitive in prison. Are you with me? That really doesn't make any sense. So either he has come at Philemon's uh, sending him, or he has come in a, on, uh, in a way other than just uh, the way that you might think of a runaway slave being. Okay? Let me talk to you a little bit about slavery in Paul's time. Um, this first statement is a statement that sounds like it's a lot like what we would think of as slavery, but it's not. Slaves were considered the property of their masters in that day. However, they were, they were always, except for two exceptions, one is that they were criminals, and the other one was that they were prisoners of war. They were always emancipated. They weren't slaves for life. There was a season, there was a period, there was a, a, a years of service in order to pay a debt, in order to, to um, we'll, we'll talk about some of the other reasons, almost always before their 30th birthday. There was something about that. They, they didn't want people to serve, I mean, it was, it was, they wanted them to have life outside of that arrangement. We've talked about the year Jubilee a little bit. Uh, a slave's worth, a bond servant's worth was calculated about, you know, how, how close they were to the year of Jubilee because all of the slaves were set free on that day, all right? Uh, it wasn't uncommon for people to willingly enter into slavery to learn a trade or to better their lives. Now, that may seem completely contrary to us or a contradiction, but that's because we don't understand exactly what this was. We're going to in just a moment. We're not sure if Paul is asking Philemon to emancipate Onesimus or simply to welcome him back as a slave, but also as a Christian brother. You say, well, that's not possible. It, it is when, and I'm going to give you aspects of Greco-Roman slavery in a moment. You'll see that it's absolutely uh, possible because it was a very different type of arrangement than the one we think about. Okay. One thing uh, that, I, that I thought was peculiar, and I, I hadn't really thought about it when we were going through Colossians until we said, okay, let's go to, let's study Philemon next. Um, uh, Philemon lives in Colossa. So the letter of the Colossians is actually being written to the church, we believe, that meets in his home. So these are like step one, step two. Uh, the whole book of Colossians is written to the church. It meets in his home. We're going to hear that in the greeting in this book, but I'd, I'd, for some reason I had missed that in the front of my mind when we were going through Colossians. Uh, let me give you some aspects. I just wanted to kind of lay a foundation before we start with the verses. All right? In the day that this is being written, uh, somewhere around 60 AD, somewhere in that time frame, 55 to 60 years after the death of Jesus, slavery was a much more common thing among a vast percentage of the population than the slavery that we think of in the southern part of the United States. Uh, slavery in that day was not limited to one racial group. The people from all kinds of different walks would enter into this arrangement. Uh, they were emancipated at a relatively young age. Uh, the conditions for slaves were often better than the conditions for the poor. 
So people that lived and worked uh, in these arrangements often had much better living conditions than just the common poor people had. Um, therefore, people often willingly entered into this. They sometimes entered it in order to learn trades or to advance their education because education was encouraged among those who were bond servants or what the scripture calls slaves. And those individuals often filled important social and political functions in the communities. Uh, they could own property. They didn't, they didn't forfeit their property rights when they entered into these circumstances or into these. If you amassed debt and you owned land, you didn't forfeit your land. In fact, some of them did that so that they could continue to keep their land and their families and they would enter into a bondservant, uh, what the Bible would call a slave, and in, you know, for five years, six years, seven years, uh, and be able to maintain their family land and all of that. And when they were done, they still owned the land. There was, no, there was no law prohibiting them from um, petitioning the court or, or, or uh, seeking damages against the—they had full standing in the legal system of that day. And there was, no, uh, there was no prohibition against slaves meeting publicly or being engaged in other activities. They weren't limited in their travel as long as they could fulfill the responsibilities that they had. So a very different— Thing. Uh, you got to get that in your mind when we start talking about this. Very different than what you and I think of when we talk about slavery. Uh, and that, that brings to bear, it, it really takes to issue some of, the, some of the perversion of the scriptures that has been done historically in the United States that have said that slavery was accepted by, the, by, by Paul in his writings. See, you're supposed to go back. No, very different circumstance. Uh, not at all what we think of as slavery. Any comments about that? We're going to get to the scriptures. I just think that's some interesting stuff. Um, so let's read. Only 25 verses. I want to read them all and then we'll go back and we'll start talking about them. It says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold, accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. 
I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Really interesting little letter. Uh, let me show you some things in it that I think are just. First of all, this is an artful dig. All right? I mean, this, this is just inspired. All right? Let me read verses 1 and 2. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Now, uh, I've already said, but the purpose of this letter is to appeal to Philemon on Onesimus' behalf. All right? Uh, I, want you to, I, want you to, I want you to watch something with me. All right. What does referring to himself as a prisoner of Christ do? Paul starts off, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. What's he doing? Right off the bat. Anybody? Jane? He gives himself credibility. He gives himself credibility. Yes, I, I agree. But I think he's, he's doing something else. John, what do you think? He aligns himself with a prisoner. Yeah, he identifies himself as a prisoner. Um, I'm, and, and you're, I mean, there's some pieces in here where he is really going to tighten up the screws on Philemon. Whether he needs to or not, he's going to, all right? He identifies as a prisoner, not just a prisoner of the world systems. I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Uh, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon. Now, there are actually four, uh, four addressees, if you will, in the letter. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Now, in case it might sound to you like uh, the, the, the church is in Archippus's house, the language is such, and I think it's pretty clear in the English, that he's talking about Philemon's house, Okay. Um, there are those that think that uh, Aphia is either the sister or the wife of Philemon. We don't know. But there are a considerable number of people that think that she is, when he says our sister, that's like saying brother and sister in the church. But there are many that believe that Aphia is either, either the biological sister or the wife of Philemon. Uh, but that's, that's speculation. We don't know for sure. Um, the purpose of the letter, as I said, is to appeal to Philemon for Onesimus, and him referring to himself as a prisoner of Christ aligns himself with Onesimus and begins to set a stage for his own suffering, which builds credibility, and which is a little bit of a lever. You're going to see it build. Randy? This is a, just a private letter. He wants his other people. We're going to talk about it in a minute. Yeah, he, he doesn't just write this privately to Philemon. He addresses it, and you're going to see it as we go through it. Now, Randy, that brings up an interesting point that the first part of this letter uh, is written. Let me see. I made a note. I want to make sure I say this. Yes, the first part of this letter is written in second person plural. 
When he says you uh, in verse 3, grace to you, uh, he's referring to Philemon. Uh, I'm sorry, he's referring to all of them. Second person plural, you, all of you. But when he gets down to verse 4, the letter switches, all right, to him only speaking to Philemon. The verbs and the pronouns change in the, in the Greek. But when he gets down to verse 22, he switches back to the second person plural because he's talking to everybody when he's talking about, okay, I want to make sure everybody hears this letter, okay? So, and it's to your point, all right? We'll come to that in a little bit. Uh, the language is such that the church is in the home of Philemon. I said that. And um, verse 3, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, as I said, you here is second person plural. Uh, Paul is greeting all four of those. Um, Philemon, Apphia, Archippus, and the church. Uh, and as I said, the rest of the letter speaks to Philemon until verse 22. The thought is that Paul informs these four as well as the rest of the church so that there's an accountability on what he's commanded, what he's asking, sort of asking, sort of commanding Philemon to do. He's put it out there in the public. Now, I want you to think about... I want you to think about... Um, what it would mean for Paul the Apostle, who is your spiritual father, who is, who is obviously an apostle used of God. He's now in chains for the gospel. And he writes to you and says, look, I can command you to do this, but I don't want to. I mean, do you feel that? And he, and he sends this to you, but he sends it to the whole church. Uh, you begin to feel the the, the sense of pressure. All right, good. I don't know that Paul is leveraging him, but, but there is a, I've said this phrase a few times over the last year, there is an apostolic authority here. And uh, Philemon's not going to ignore it. Um, it's, it's a heavyweight. While this feels sort of lighthearted, it's a very heavy um, authority here. He says uh, in verse 3, uh, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The goal, the ultimate goal is grace and peace. There's a thing, Philemon, that I need you to do. I need you to do it in a gracious manner, and I need you to do it in a way that produces peace. Grace and peace to you in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, he says, and I want you to, we're going to make a list here in just a second. I thank my God always when I remember, I want to read through verse 7. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Now, have you ever heard, the, and I know you have, the old saying that you, you catch more flies with than with vinegar. Catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. How many of you love working for a curmudgeon? Um, do you even know what that is? <laughs> old word. Some old, some old complaining, ruthless, kind of miserable 
Scrooge kind of, you know, sucks a you know, joy sponge. You know what I'm talking about? Nobody does. How many of you want a bunch of those as your friends? How many of you want to be married to one? Everybody better just be real quiet here, right? All right. Nobody better say, I am married to one, all right? I've heard the joke about the guy that's sitting in front of the church one day and the devil appears physically and he roars and sulfur fills the room and fire flies everywhere and people run screaming from the building and he roars and stands up and just, I mean, it's just horrible. There's this one old guy sitting on the front row just looking at him. And the devil just roared, aren't you afraid of me? He says, why would I be afraid of you? I've been married to your sister for 50 years. All right, so, you got it? That's not me. That was somebody else, all right? Uh, listen, the, the point is, is that the scripture says that a, um, that a, a gentle word does what? Yeah, pushes away, pushes away wrath. Paul begins to do some things in this that, that aren't necessary if you're just going to tell somebody what to do. This is a skillfully written, this is almost like a treaty on how you motivate people to do the right thing. All right? I want you to think about how little of this we see in our world today. On the television, on the news. You see it, but not, not, in, the, not in lots of public realm today. First of all, I want you to notice. Um, he says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. So Paul is establishing a theological framework before he makes his ask. He's going to ask Philemon to do something, but he wants Philemon to remember some things and to contemplate who he is. All right? First of all, he says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. What do you hear in that? First of all, I thank God for you. Watch this. Edie, I just thank the Lord for you. Would you make me a pie? <laughs> What's she going to say? <laughs> Leslie, you shaking her head no. Leslie? No. I want you to make me that, 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 that thing. You know that thing. What do we call that thing, Sue? That, yeah, that, that breakfast crack you make. That, that thing that you make with the caramel and the stuff on it. Leslie, I want you to know I thank God for you. Would you make me one of those when the fast is over? Just answer my question. Don't give me a hard time here. All right. Listen to what Paul says. I thank the Lord for you. Somebody, somebody says that to you, what's your frame of mind? I just want you to know that I thank the Lord for you. Yeah, it's absolutely humbling, isn't it? it is, it's something that makes you contemplate a closeness and a, and a relationship. Then he says this, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. I thank the Lord for you and what? And I, I pray for you. Jane? Yeah. Yeah, this is a good technique for teenagers. I thank the Lord for you. I think maybe we need to hear it instead of them so much. Sorry. He says, I thank the Lord for you. I pray for you. Then he says this, because I hear of your love 
and of your faith. Now, when someone says, I thank the Lord for you, I pray for you, and I hear of your love and faith, what is it hard not to be? It's hard not to be loving and, and faithful. You know, I hear everybody talking about it. Well, I don't know what they've been telling you, but that ain't me. You see what I mean? This is a gentle word. He's about to ask a very big deal. He could command it. Paul's going to talk about that as well. I thank God for you. I pray for you. I hear of your love and your faith. People are talking about who you are. It's going to be hard to not be that person, isn't it? I thank God for you. I pray for you. I hear of your love and faith. Love, he says, that is directed towards the Lord Jesus and all the saints. I have heard, I hear people talking about how you love Jesus and how you love others. Now, I don't think Paul's making this stuff up. This is who this guy is. Amen? I thank God for you. I pray for you. I hear of your love and your faith. That love and faith is directed towards Jesus and all the saints. He says, and I pray, and I love this line. Listen to this. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective. Why? For the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. I pray that when you share the gospel, it would be effective. Why? So that people would understand really all that they have in Christ Jesus. So, I thank God for you. I pray for you. I hear of your love and faith. That love is directed towards Jesus and all the saints. And I pray that because of who you are, you would be so effective at sharing the gospel that people would begin to realize who they really are in Jesus. But he's not done yet. He says, and not only that, I have derived much joy and comfort from your love. My brother. Well, the water's getting deeper and deeper here, isn't it? Listen, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. I'm like, I'm done. I'm pulling my wallet out. I'm giving my car keys. What do you? Paul is reminding Philemon who he is. This isn't a snow, this isn't a snow job. This isn't a sales pitch. This isn't spin. He's reminding Philemon of sort of his calling, of who he is, of his position, of who he's always been known to be. He's commissioned. He is called of God. He is leading a church. Paul is reminding him of the way that he has loved people and the way that he's encouraged people. He's talking to him about the joy that he personally has derived from who Philemon is the way that he has loved him. He's called him a brother, and he's talked about how that Philemon has refreshed the hearts of saints. He's a good guy, isn't it? And Paul wants him to remember who he is. There is this, there is this thing in the body of Christ today, and I do it, we all do it, but we forget who we are. We forget who we are. I don't think I shared with you, I know I shared with Sue and a few others about my trip to Chicago uh, last Tuesday, a week ago, yesterday. And while I was there, uh, just before we recorded the Tuesday night prayer, their prayer service, 
uh, Pastor Al got a message, got a text message from his executive pastor. And they had gotten word that the Black Lives Matter group uh, was going to hold a protest and f- block the street in front of their church and protest the church. Um, they have been completely unpolitical. Uh, they, they, feed, they fed 3,500 families two weeks before that. Uh, but when they do those things, they always invite the first responders and the fire department and the police to come be with them. And they're always very, they serve all of those entities. And the thought was that maybe because they've included the police and the first responders that, that they were targeted. So they called their leadership team together and they, and he asked me to sit it on. And he asked me, he said, you know, one piece of it, um, he said, you know, gone around the room and they were talking about ways to handle it and should they say something and how they should respond and all of that and he finally he said Pastor Roy what do you think he said I've asked you to come and I said well I said first of all guys I wouldn't say anything anything you say can be twisted I said but actions are hard to misinterpret if you do the right thing and I said the thing that I would encourage you to do is let's not forget who we are we're not here to do politics we're not here to do to do candidates or to do we're here to represent Jesus. I said, so what I would do is I'd put some tables out by the sidewalk. I'd load it up with food. And I'd put two big signs that says, we love you. I said, there are going to be a bunch of people that love you out there taking pictures. And I said, there may be those that just, oh, you shouldn't be nice to them. Jesus told us, bless those who despitefully use you. Do good to those. You, you with me? And not everybody out there protesting doesn't like you. They've got a cause. There's some good people out there. There's some evil people out there. But that's the case in every group of people. I said, let's not forget who we are. What, What Paul is reminding Philemon, because he's about to make, he's about to ask him to sacrifice something big. And he's reminding him who he is. He's reminding him what Christ has done in him. He's reminding him. In a minute, he's going to remind him of what Paul what he has done for Philemon. I just think it's good for us to remember who we are. I love, uh, listen to, let me, let me go there. I have said it to several others uh, this week. I didn't, I didn't think about being there, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 15, I think I just said that backwards. I think it's 1510. Yep. Uh, Paul says this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. You're not who you are because you earned it or because you chose, you made decisions. That's not what I'm saying. Paul says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And the grace and his grace towards me was not in vain. Is his grace towards you in vain? Or do you remember And are you thankful for what the Lord's done? By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Those that would suggest that grace is all that matters, Paul says, listen, that grace wasn't in vain to me. It motivated me to do things. Um, But even that wasn't me. That was the grace of God as well. I just think it would behoove us in the day that we live in to ask the Holy Spirit daily. Holy Spirit, let me remember who I am. Let me remember what my first calling is. Let me remember what I'm here to do. 
And let me not forget it. And that's what Paul is reminding Philemon of. He's reminding him of who he is. That he thinks God for him. That he prays for him. That he hears of his love and faith. That that love and faith is directed toward Jesus and all the saints. Paul prays that when he shares the faith, it would become so effective that people would have a full knowledge of every good thing that is, in Christ, that is theirs in Christ. And he says, Paul says, I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, Philemon, and you have refreshed the saints. Then... In verse 8, he says, accordingly, because of all that, because of who you are, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Now, let's talk about that for a second. It's pretty rare. Um, pretty rare, I think, to see people that walk in that kind of authority Paul says accordingly because of that and there's no arrogance in it he said I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required he says yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you I Paul and then the water gets a little deeper he says an old man now what's that in there for all right what's that there's nothing theological in that is it Come on, play along with me here. There's no reminding Philemon who he is. What's he doing? What do you think he's doing by saying an old man? Well, I think it's that too, but I think he's playing on his heartstrings a little bit. What do you think? Hey, listen, I'm an old man, dude. All right? And I'm in prison for Christ. He says, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul... An old man and now a prisoner. Here we are back also for Christ Jesus. I, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Now, a couple of things here. Um, there, there, is, there is a motivator that can get a lot done quickly. But it can't, or, or, or I'm sorry, let me say this differently. There is a motivator that can get something done quickly, but it can't get a lot done long term. What is that? Fear. If you're afraid of me, I can make you do something. All right? I can make you move really quick over a few minutes or even a day maybe or maybe even a week or a month. But that's about it. Um. What's, what's the only sustainable long-term motivator? It's love. It's not fear. It's love. Now, which takes longer to develop? Love does, doesn't it? What do you think the uh, primary, and we, there may be different words for it, but what do you think the primary motivator in the world is? Fear, leverage, power, control, um, position but if you say positional authority that's a fear-based authority i'm higher than you are on the organizational chart i have a, a, a bigger lever i get paid more i'm the guy that signs your check something you will do what i tell you to do there have been a few times pretty rare but in my ministry where i've had to resort to that um i don't like it i just don't like it I don't think it's... Jesus had moments like that, though. He did braid that whip. 
And he did flip those tables over. And he did clear the temple. But Zacchaeus didn't climb up in a tree to see the guy that made the whip. And Peter and John didn't run towards the tomb out of fear. And all of the apostles save one didn't die martyrs' deaths motivated out of fear of Jesus. They didn't, Paul didn't make missionary journeys. He's not writing this from in prison. He's not in chains out of fear. He, he, he's, he's bound to Christ out of love. And that's what Paul is reminding Philemon of. You're bound to me, Philemon, not out of fear, out of love. Now watch this. You ever had a moment where a circumstance or a, or a, or a need or a, or a hurt or, or even, you know, where you forget for a moment that, well, any of you that have been married, you've done this. Any of you ever forget that you love that person for a minute? I mean, you know, I'm just pretty cranked up at you right now and I'm, I'm, I'm not feeling very loving. And right now I just want to whack you with something. All right. We all have a tendency, we all have a fleshy nature that does that. What Paul is doing to Philemon is reminding him that they are bound together. And Paul doesn't want it to be positional. He doesn't want it to be leveraged. He doesn't want it to be based on his authority. He wants it to be based on love. Philemon, even though I'm bold enough in Christ to command you. Paul knows who he is. He knows his position. Even though I'm bold enough to command you to do this, that's not what I want to do. For love's sake, I appeal to you. I'm an old man and I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Now, what we know about that is that Paul, we, would, we believe, is that Paul has been the instrument by which Onesimus has come to know Jesus. And there's a relationship that has been built between them. And what Paul is saying is, just like there's a relationship between you and I, Philemon, there's a relationship between me and Onesimus now. And there's some things that I want you to do. He says, uh, let me get back there. Sorry, I'm still in 1 Corinthians. He says, um, formally, and does anybody know what the brackets mean in a verse of Scripture? Say it again, John. Yeah, it's not, in the, it's not in some of the original manuscripts. So there's some question about whether or not it's original or not. It's enough, though, that sometimes it's included. In some translations, it's not. He says, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. This seems to be a statement of the fact that he is left and he's of no use to you, but now he's been saved and there's the potential that he would be useful both to you and me. Verse 12, Paul says, I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. Talking about the closeness. Paul says in verse 13, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I, preferred to do, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. Now, it's this last little piece, and I want to stop here tonight uh, with uh, verse 14. I was, uh, and some of you have come up in the, 
uh, in the Catholic Church. And so I, I've got some great, great friends that are still very much Catholic. I grew up in a predominantly Catholic community. So most of my childhood friends were Catholic and went to the Catholic school. I was in, uh, when I was in Paola, uh, the house that Leanne and I bought uh, was just around the corner from the Catholic Church, and we shared the alley with the um, Parsonage Rectory. The Parsonage, the, it was where the priest lived. And uh, the church belonged to the, didn't belong to the priest, it belonged to the church, but he, he you know, he, he did, I mean, he got flowers and he arranged it the way he wanted, those sorts of things. And I was up in my backyard one day, and uh, I looked, I had a fence and then there was an alley and then they had a, these were picket fences, not big privacy fences. And over in the backyard of the priest, there was about a dozen of his parishioners, most of whom I knew. Paola was a pretty small town. And I'm over there mowing my grass and they're over there mowing his. <laughs> and I was like, something wrong with this picture. And I said, I said, uh, I called, walked out in the alley and walked over there. I said, hey, called out to one of the, one of the guys that I know. I said, come here. I said, uh, how come you ever do this grass? He said, because uh, he was a guy about my, the priest wasn't an old guy. He was a guy about, back then I was about, I don't know, 35, 40, something like that. And he was about my age. And I said, how come you ever do this grass? And he said, well, this is a priest. This is the priest's house. I said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of the priest. I'm, I'm, I'm over here. <laughs> Ain't nobody ever cut. And they said, well, this is, this is, our, this is our service to the Lord. And I was like, I don't understand. And they said, well, this is sort of our penance. This is our, you know, we're. And I said, I tell you what. I said, I got to get me a bunch of church members that think they got to work their way to heaven. I said, we got far too much grace at my place. Ain't nobody up here mowing my grass. They're all, you know, they all think they're saved by the blood of Jesus. They don't know they got to mow my grass as well. We laughed about that. Uh, but here's the deal. Uh, Paul is saying uh, Philemon and he's also I think he's teaching a lesson to the body of Christ that I think sometimes we forget uh, probably not and you know I don't want to I mean you're here on Wednesday night you come on a midweek night none of you it's the mother folks all right in the body of Christ but I think sometimes we we, we sort of miss the boat. Uh, back to that 1 Corinthians 15, 10 verse. Because we're not, we're not motivated to work our way into heaven. We, we miss the, I want to do what I do out of love for Jesus train. We, we miss that connection. Um, I think we, we, we misunderstand the, the joy and the the reward and the and the just the fulfillment that comes from serving the Lord for and, and we've become in the in the 21st century the people have become so busy so many things in their life that it's legitimately hard for them to to carve out a piece of time where they go no this is the Lord's time this is you know we we go to church we serve we teach we um, and none of that out of compulsion, none of that out of guilt, none of that out of religious, empty religious tradition, but rather out of love.
Lord, we love you. My heart belongs to you. Father, my goals belong to you. My, my dreams belong to you. My future is yours. And um, I think there's such a, there's a warmth, there's a goodness, there's a peace in that. I remember uh, feeling guilty about the, you know, service to the kingdom of God. And I wish I could tell you that none of that comes in today, but, but, but not much. Um, I love the Lord. How many of you love him? Come on, I'm not just involved in an organization here. If all of you gone tomorrow, I'm still going to love Jesus day after tomorrow. Amen? Uh, someday I'm not going to be a pastor and I'm still going to go to church. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm going to still pay my tithe. I'm going to still, you know, teach something somewhere and serve in some capacity somewhere. And I'm going to find me some wonderful pastor who will let me be the senior adult pastor somewhere. All right? Uh, why? Because it's not, it's not job. It's, it's, it is occupational for me. But I was doing it when I was doing it for nothing. And I'll still be doing it when I'm doing it for nothing. Why? Because it's love. And that's the message that we're, we're going to come to the things that Paul is asking Philemon to do. We'll get to that next week. But I wanted you to see tonight the motivation for it and why it is that he's uh, what it is that he wants this decision that Philemon has to make to be based upon. Not out of fear, not out of position, not because he's the apostle, not because he's his spiritual father, but because he loves him. And that's the same thing that's supposed to motivate us uh, in our service to the Lord. Why? Um, I, I don't know that there's a lady in here, I'm looking around, that, that I don't think is wonderful, but there's not any of you that I will do for what I'll do for Leanne. Everybody understand that? I would think that your husbands would feel the same way. Why is that? Because it's a different kind of love. Uh, there's a different level of it. And I think that's what Paul is commanding Philemon to do. I don't want you to do what you do because, listen, I don't do for her just because I'm her husband. I got a title. I got a position. I got to do what I... No, I, that's not it. It's not... It's not societal pressure or established uh, tradition of what a husband's supposed to do. No, I love her. All right? And I think that's what Paul is commanding Philemon to do in relation to this decision that he has to make. And I think that's, uh, that's what you and I should strive for. Be, uh, be in love with the Lord. Be in love with his kingdom. Be in love with what he, what he loves. Amen? And... Uh, and live our lives through that through that metric, through that lens. Questions, comments? John? I got a quick comment. You were mentioning the wise men. You talked about earlier that he addressed this letter to these four people and to the church. And so there's a difference when I give somebody a compliment and I compliment you in front of other people. It takes it off. Yeah. You start talking about this. Athea might be his wife. Yep. Dude, that's, that's another level there because I know if you compliment me in front of my wife, I mean, that's huge. You know? I, mean, I mean, that just, you know, and so he's, he's stacking all these things. And you said, do you ever forget that you love it? I remember the movie The Shack. It's one of the most heart-wrenching parts. And he's thinking about his daughter still. And she goes, remember that we love each other. You know, she stops him. And it's just a really solemn part that, hey, mm -hmm. we're still married. It's a wonderful thing. And the other scene that comes to me, because this last part says, Without your consent, nor that this might be of your own accord, but man, if his wife heard that compliment, 
And now he's asking them something, and the light's still there because it's in front of the church. Now he's got a different motivation, too. Yeah. And what I think of is, and I watch all movies, I apologize, but when he's smarter, when he said, this is smarter, you keep that dude in the vein, he stopped and he looked back at his wife. And he got that, you know what I mean? It was that love and that, it was, I don't know, I just, I think about that because I feel like he's got this all set up, and now his wife's sitting there. He's complimented, he's blessed them. And now he's asking this thing of them and saying, hey, this is, I want you to do this on your own part. And I can just see, I look at my wife and I'm like, yeah, we've got to do this. So, yeah, but that's the same woman that told him, come back carrying your shield or, yeah, or on it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So. I was thinking about how your, your spouse. Oh, no, I got it, John. Yeah, and, and watch this. Think about this. Uh, different subject, but it's still the love thing. Um, the uh, John, your comment about if this is his wife and she hears this, there's an accountability in it. There's a, but, but there's also, a, like you said, there's this, it just, it just heightens the whole deal. Um, just, a, just a word to wives, to ladies here. Um, you probably know this, but just in case you don't. Uh, we, there's a part of us that never, men, that never grows up, ever. You knew that already, right? Yeah, you knew that. But, li- but it's not what you thought. All right, let me tell you what it is. Uh, when we are little, um, well, let, let me just cut right to it. There is nobody on the planet that we want to impress more than our wife. And if you are unimpressible, you're miserable, you're going to have a miserable husband because the, if you're, <laughs> I tell couples that come in new, that are going to be married, I tell them, I tell the wives, I said, if your husband cuts the grass, you need to tell him you are the best grass cutter ever. <laughs> Remember the way you used to do your little boy when he was six? You know, you're a good eater. You're such a good eater. All right. Yeah. If you weren't here on Sunday, you could ask Miss Pat what that means. Miss Pat, that's got some life in it. That's going to outlive me and you both. I'm telling you right now. I love that. Miss Pat said I was a good eater. I love that. Um, in, in relation to everyone, be an encourager. Lift them up. The world is just so filled with people pulling people down and, and naysayers and complainers and whiners and, 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 and people that just want to find flaw. Listen, if you want to find a flaw, you can find a flaw with everybody and everything if you're just determined to do so. But the world just needs people that will watch this. Even when you find a flaw, do it graciously. Yeah, you can find a flaw. Okay, you got one thing wrong, but you got 10 things right. All right? Don't forget the 10 and just major on the one. Um, and that, 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 feels like the, uh, that feels like the heart that Paul is writing this with. He is encouraging, he's encouraging Philemon and who he is and what their relationship is. And then he's going to ask him to do a really big thing. And it's going to be difficult to do. Uh, but now, here's the other thing. We don't know for sure what happens. I'm just going to tell you that right now. We don't know the outcome of this. There's not anywhere that tells us. 
Uh, but I'm absolutely believing that Philemon got it right. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for this time tonight. Lord, if we would just allow it to, the Word will give us everything we need. Everything we need. Uh, you said uh, in your Word, Lord, that we had already been given everything we needed for life and godliness. Relationships, money, health, all of it, Father. Eternity. You've spelled it all out for us. If we'll just look to your word and then be, not just say it, but be who your word calls us to be. Lord, we will be like when we prayed Sunday night. We will be like those trees planted by rivers of living water whose leaf never withers, who brings forth fruit in its season and whom everything our hand touches prospers. I believe that, Father. If we'll, just, if we'll just be who you've called us to be. So bless these great people, Lord. They are who you've called them to be. I pray, Father, that they would just spread out across this region and that every room they walk into, Father, they would infect that room with the purpose and the person of Christ Jesus. And that that wouldn't be with empty words, Father, but it would be by demonstration of the Spirit's power in them and through them. I ask you to do it in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Those of you online, thank you so much for being with us tonight. We'll be back here Sunday morning, 8.30 and 10.30 for our Sunday morning services. We're going to have a great time. Remember to be praying for those five areas that we mentioned in the first of the service. And we hope to see you back here Sunday morning. God bless you guys online, folks. Have a great night.